Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, today is Monday, April the 7th, 2013. This is episode 300, 300, oh, I knew I was tired, I didn't know I was that tired, 1,328 of the Survival Podcast, and it's Monday, it's a Monday for me, um, I feel like old Mondays used to feel, and I'm, I'm beat, we just had an incredible workshop, ran Wednesday through Sunday, uh, the teaching part ran Thursday through Saturday, we'll get folks here from Wednesday afternoon all the way through Sunday morning, and yes, it rained, and then it rained again, and, and then it rained one more time, but actually the weather really did cooperate, the rain came Mostly at the right times. We could have done without the rain that we got on the last day right before everybody was, you know, leaving and packing up their gear. But overall, it went pretty good. I'll talk a little bit more about the event today, but it is Monday. And Monday means it's time for a feedback show. These are emails with questions, comments, news stories, whatever. Videos, uh, and I ain't got any videos that I could like strip the audio out and play on air in a long time. Maybe you guys could get me some this week for next week. I like to do that on occasion. Um, and you know, comment on and things like that. The way you do, uh, the way you send me content for a show like this is to email me at jack at the survival podcast.com, jack at the survival podcast.com. And, uh, tell me, uh, what, you, you know, send me your link or your story or your comment or your question. And, uh, if it's a link to an article or something like that, if you give me like one sentence on why I should care, I'm more likely to review the article. If you give me 400 sentences on why I'm likely to care, I probably won't read the article or your email because I don't have time to, to get through the sheer quantity that come in on a daily basis. Again, the uh, formula to send content for these types of shows is send the email to jack at the survival podcast.com. Put question for Jack, comment for Jack, subject for Jack, uh, video for Jack, what have you in the subject line, and I will uh, take a look at it. Anyway, before I get into your feedback, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, bulkammo.com. Hey, bulkammo.com is awesome. Do you know why? Because they have ammo. And do you know what you need ammo for? so that you can complete your triangle of gun owner operational efficiency. First one's you. If you don't know what you're doing, the gun might not be very useful to you. So you need training, you need to practice, and you need to hone your skills. Number two is the gun. You can have the great skills, but if you point your finger at the guy and yell bang, well, he's not really going to care. He's probably still going to kill you, right? Or if you point your finger at a deer and yell bang, it's going to run away and make that sound when it snorts at you. If you are in any other situation where you want something to happen at the terminal end of a, of a gun and you have no gun and you go bang, nothing happens, right? That's when you were kids. You played guns in the woods. I think they think that's dangerous for kids to do now. But in all other scenarios, you need the, uh, you need the ammo or you need the gun. But the last thing you need is the ammo because even if you have the gun, you point it at the deer and you say bang, What happens? Nothing. You've got an overpriced club or a barter implement. That's all you got with a gun and no ammo. So get over to Bulk Ammo. They have ammo. They have it in bulk. They have it in stock. Their shipping's fast. Their pricing's great. And their service is awesome. BulkAmmo.com. Remember, they do do a discount for members of the Support Brigade. Check your benefits section to learn more about that. Next up today, BackyardFoodProduction.com. Backyard Food Production is where the awesome Marjorie Wildcraft will teach you how to turn your backyard 
into a food production machine. You want to check her out? Uh, come by the website, click on her banner in the right-hand margin, and you will uh, find out exactly how you can get her DVD called Growing Your Groceries. Marjorie's just an awesome person, and she's really set up her homestead to be very resilient, very self-reliant, and to produce tons and tons of food, everything from carbohydrates to fats and proteins, Anything you can think of, you will learn how to do it. And her system is adaptable, whether you have a hundred acres in the country or a half an acre in the city. Check it out today, backyardfoodproduction.com. But again, best to go to the website first, thesurvivalpodcast.com. Click on her banner because she has a special discount for all members of this audience and a bigger discount if you are a member of the support brigade. Next up today, I want to remind you that the MSB does have a lot of great discounts for you, including companies that aren't actual sponsors. Many of them aren't sponsors because I have no sponsorship space to sell and haven't for several years now. Uh, but we have a great one to mention today, Paladin Press. What an incredible resource of informational products, books, DVDs, you name it, they've got it on every subject under the sun that you'd be interested in. And from a tactical and prepping standpoint, Paladin Press has been around forever. I remember watching movies, from, uh, DV, you know, like instructional movies from Paladin Press on a VCR. All right. I remember getting books from Paladin Press when there was no internet and there was no VCR, at least not in my home. This was back in the day when you wanted to learn how to tie a fishing knot. You went through your uncle's collection of field and stream magazines to find one. That's how long they've been around, and they're still around, and they're still an awesome source. They're better than ever. 15% off all their products to members of our support brigade. Uh, Paladin-Press.com is the website. Check it out. All right. That's just a good reason to join the Member Support Brigade. Consider joining Military, Law Enforcement, Peace Corps, Active Duty, Prior Service, First Responders like EMTs, Paramedics, and Firefighters. All of you guys get a discount on the discount membership. Uh, just email me with service discount before you join us. All I'm going to say today on that, I want to keep moving because i got a lot of stuff for you guys today. Um, I want to actually get into our, um, our history segment now. Um, the episode is 1328, so the year... Is 1328. That's a long time ago, isn't it? Um, what I want to talk about today is the start of something you probably have heard of, but many people that have heard of this really don't know what it's all about. Um, if you asked them, like, what caused it or who was even fighting this, they, they probably wouldn't know. Um, the Hundred Years' War. The Hundred Years' War kind of officially began in 1328. King Edward III signs a peace treaty with Scotland, and that's all for the good. Everything else is about to go right down the toilet. King Charles IV of France is dead at the age of 33. The French rule book says that a woman cannot secede to the throne, and with no male heirs, a new line of kings must be found. King Philip the Fortunate slides in, but the rule book did not prohibit a male heir through a female. Queen Isabella, the wife of the late King Edward II of England, is the daughter of the late King Philip the Fair of France, the man originally cursed by the Grand Templar and, uh, and er came to an early death along with the king's heirs. Isabella's teenage son, though, King Edward, makes a claim to the throne of France. Now, of course, Edward is now the king of England um, as well, actually. So you've got basically the... The, the monarchy of England claiming the throne of France, and thus begins the Hundred Years' War. Only it will last longer than 100 years. The curse of the Templars just won't quit. 
Um, I have thoughts on this, but I want to read you my take by Alex Shrug, who puts these together for us at tspwiki.com. There has to be a rule book somewhere that says rule number one, never mess with the Knights Templar. Rule number two, see rule number one. I became interested in the Middle Ages history when I read about the 100 Years' War in Michael Crichton's novel, Timeline. The novel is about time travelers who wind up in the middle of this war. At the end of Crichton's book is a bio bibliography. So I read the history of the Middle Ages that Crichton had discovered. I was hooked, and it's because of my reading that I'm able to write these summaries today. Um, my overall take on the Hundred Years' War part is that it's just proof that people constantly fight and battle and struggle to control other people. And that, that means that we should really consider how much power anybody has ever given to control other people and focus far more on voluntary associations. My take on Alex's take, though, I think this is interesting. So a guy reads a book. A guy reads a book and reads a story. A story is full of facts blended into a novel. The guy says this is interesting. The guy reads bibliography. Guy reads sources of bibliography. Guy becomes history buff. History buff becomes massive contributor to the TSP family. And probably this knowledge is being passed on in other awesome ways elsewhere. Because he read a book. Because somebody took the time to care. When they wrote a book about reality and about factual history versus just bending things to make a novel entertaining. Whether you're writing a novel or not... My take on this is that you never know when you do something positive what the results are going to be. You just know that there will be results. I saw that this weekend uh, with an awesome guy named Michael Jordan, the Bee Whisperer, as he came here and basically gave everybody here a bonus class in beekeeping. And my new mentor came to help install the bees and uh, probably did that a second level class, you would call it. And it was it was just awesome. But um, Michael has a passion for getting kids hooked on beekeeping. And uh, one of our staff members here had other kids here. And there's a young girl, uh, daughter of, of the staff, on the last, or it was the last day of the event when we were getting ready to install the bees. And uh, Michael had her uh, excited about having bees someday in about 13 and a half seconds. So... That is a positive influence on the world. And uh, it's pretty awesome to see people lit up on fire. And of course, Mike says that it's TSP that relit his fire to spread beekeeping. I don't know if that's exactly true, but I do know something did, and we're better off for it. And I think that that is, we get labeled as the gloom and doom people because we prepare and we pay attention to what's going wrong and we actually think it's worth doing something about it instead of ending up, you know, completely screwed when other people uh, screw the pooch, so to speak. It's important to remember the positives. And the positives are often things that we send out that are intangibles. We never know that we've done it, but it's still worth doing. All right, with that, let's go ahead and uh, move forward. It's Monday. So now something that will be a little less positive, but I actually selected a card this week rather than just picked one at random that would be a little positive, at least lead to some positive discussion. Conflicted Monday is uh, something we're starting to do now every Monday. It's based on the conflicted card game. We had a great time with this at the event, by the way. So every Monday I read a card, and then you in the comments section of the blog 
for episode 1328, tell me what you would do in this scenario, and you guys have a discussion with each other about it. One thing I've added, I've actually written the text of the card in the show notes, so if you don't remember it when you get to the blog, you'll be able to see it and remind yourself of it. Here's today's Conflicted Monday scenario. Do you think physical ability or knowledge will be more valuable to your group in a survival scenario? Now, watch how this card gets more complicated with the next sentence, because a lot of people think this would be an easy one to pick out. But, but the thing about the conflicted game is it really pins you down. There's been a few cards that I've read that I think maybe this is not realistic, but we can still discuss it. But this is realistic right here. This one is absolutely realistic. So do you think physical ability or knowledge will be more valuable to your group in a survival scenario? Who would you team up with? A 70-year-old female who knows how to live off the grid but needs almost every form of physical assistance or a 28-year-old man who only offers a strong back to your group. So we're going to the extremes here. Somebody with extensive knowledge, but pretty much needs assistance to like walk from one place to another. And a person who's 28 years old and strong, but has no knowledge and no skills. All they have is physical ability and the willingness to do what you ask of them. Which one would you take into your group if you could only have one? My answer would be, I bet I could find a place for both of them, but it's conflicted. So I don't get that luxury. I have to choose one or the other in extreme circumstances. Remember, this game is played with the mentality that at this point, the world of which we know it has ended. Uh, dogs are having uh, puppy kittens with cats, etc. Agnosium, brimstone, and fire are falling from the sky. This is uh, the post-apocalyptic world you're living in, not a little group you're putting together right now pre-collapse. All right, with that, let's uh, let's move on from there. I do want to talk a little bit about um, the event that we just had. It was uh, it was pretty cool. Uh, we had 34, actually 33 students in all. We had one cancellation that I wasn't able to uh, make the seat available to anyone in time to, to get it filled in. So 33 students. Uh, we had staff of six plus myself and Joe uh, and Dorothy. So we were up, and then we had some special guests, Doc Bones and Nurse Amy stopped by on the first night to hang out with us. Uh, Chris Starr uh, came by with uh, Harris's Hawk, as, as usually happens here. Um, it was just really an absolutely awesome time. I got to meet my new bee mentor, um, Michael Jordan. I guess will always be my mentor to a degree with bees. But uh, Jason uh, from Weatherford uh, is the guy that actually provided my bees. We, he brought three three boxes of bees over and we set them up. And uh, I'm pretty stoked about the bees, guys. I really don't know what I'm doing yet, but Jason assured me that what I really need to do mostly this year is leave them the hell alone. And uh, he's going to come back and show me how to work them because it really was not a right, good environment weather-wise to work them uh, much when we installed them. And uh, I probably need some time with just me instead of like 30 people yelling at me while I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing anyway. Uh, but mostly this year, we're going to leave them alone and take no honey from them. And what I thought was cool this morning, though, was, you know, I went out, it was kind of cold and overcast and cloudy, and I walked my whole property like I always do, and there was like one bee hanging out. And if you notice, the show's out a bit late, even for a Monday today. So I had a bunch of stuff to, to get, you know, gathered back up after uh, having an event here and having everything kind of shut down for four or five days. 
So to get my mind right before I started the show today, I decided to take another walk around the property. So I walked over to where the bees were. Man, there's bees everywhere. And when I was walking the property over to the bees, I didn't really notice. I was looking a little bit for bees, like out and about. Are bees out finding flowers and you know finding water and stuff like that? And I didn't really notice any. But as I was uh, standing there watching them go in and out of the hive, you know, I could hear a few buzzing around me, and I looked down on the ground. There's a few little wildflowers, and there they are, little little Italian bees, you know, hanging out, doing their thing. And uh, as I walked the property back, I started, I guess, having a different eye now because there just haven't been a lot of bees here. And I started realizing they were everywhere. They're on almost every flower out there. Seems to have at least one or two bees working it. And uh, I found out there's a tree or a bush that I didn't ever identify. There's tons of in the woods behind my house uh, that has white flowers that smell kind of like honeysuckle, but it's certainly not honeysuckle. Uh, and they don't look like honeysuckle. They just have that smell. And uh, uh, Jason looked at it and said, oh, that's your pond. They love that. So in another couple of weeks, that stuff will all go into bloom, and they'll really have something going on. So... Uh, that was one of the big highlights for me was getting the bees. We got a ton of planting in. I will be doing lots of video, even if it's just iPhone video, showing you the garden and things like that with uh, the good mic plugged into it on the stuff that Kelly Hearn gave me, so it's nice and steady. Uh, maybe not even me in front of the camera. Maybe I'll just grab it and just start videoing a lot of areas and uploading them a few at a time. Um, I do want to let you know that not the whole property, but the food forest portion of the property is at permacultureglobal.com. You can just look up my profile there, Jack Spierko, and you can find the whole project. A lot of changes have been made since the PDF originally was written up, but 90% of it's solid. Um, it's over 30 pages. All the species we selected, not every species is detailed as to why, but many of the key species are indicated as to why we selected them. Uh, so I want to let you guys know that's available, especially you guys that were here, because a lot of guys are like, there's a whole list. It's permacultureglobal.com. Just search for Jack Spirico, and I'll put a link to my profile in the show notes today so you guys can check out what we're doing with that. Um, we've got everything looking beautiful. The rain was perfect when it came in, honestly, after uh, everything was in the ground, and we have a long way to go from here. So the TSP Homestead just got a major upgrade. Uh, many of the students remarked how amazing it was to see so much happen so fast. Um, and all I can say to you guys that came here uh, to learn uh, is also thank you for the work that you did when you here because you did a lot of stuff quickly. And uh, I think everybody got what they were looking for. If you didn't, uh, let me know because we'll make it better the next time around. We would really do our best to make these events something special. Uh, anyway, let's move on from there and start talking about the uh, events of the week or probably the last couple weeks and questions that have come in and um, things that are not so personal and a little bit bigger. Uh, one of the things that I've tried to convey that I said would happen is that Obamacare would never go away and that all the Republicans fighting it don't really want to fight it. What they want to do is they want to get a few things they want out of it, and they'll come back and they'll eventually just tell you they made it better and now it's a good bill. Or that they couldn't get rid of it, uh, so they did the best they could with what they had, and now they're pretty happy with the way it is, and eventually it would be sold to you by Republicans. That the last bit of selling Obamacare would be done by the GOP, the Republican Party, uh, and that they would begin laying the groundwork very soon to do just that, because they're going to have to do that 
to win the White House in 2016, and my money right now is on a Republican president in the 2016 elections. A lot of the uh, conservative uh, radio people telling you what a great, you know, America has regained its sanity, and basically the Republicans will continue to do what the Democrats have done now, controlling the White House for eight years. In fact, it might be worse because it could very well be the case that by 2016 we have Republican domination of the Senate, the House, and the White House. And if we have that, what we have is one crime family with a monopoly on power versus two crime families fighting and struggling over power. And uh, we now have proof that that, uh, that prediction by me is, is coming to fruition already. This is on uh, the AP News, apnews.myway.com. And um, here's the story. Washington, the AP. At the prodding of business organizations, House Republicans quietly secured a recent change in President Barack Obama's health law to expand coverage choices, striking one-of-a-kind departure from dozens of high-decibel attempts to repeal it or dismember it. Democrats described the change involving small business coverage options as a straightforward improvement of the type they are eager to make, and Obama signed it into law. Republicans are loath to agree. Given the strong sentiment among Reich and file, the only fix that the law deserves is its burial. Quote, Maybe you say it helps, Obamacare, but it really helps the small businessmen, said Representative Philip Rowe, of Republican, a Republican from Tennessee, one of the several physician lawmakers among Republicans and an advocate of the repeal. Um, no member of the House GOP leadership has publicly hailed the fix, which was talked at Republicans' request into legislation preventing a cut in payments to doctors who treat Medicare patients. So this was a rider that was plugged in. I'm not going to read the rest of the article. I'll put a link in today's show notes if you want to read it. But here's basically what's happening. Quietly behind the scenes, Republicans are beginning to work with Democrats to change some of the things about Obamacare to make it more palatable to the American people, to take some of the things that are really bad and make them really, really good. And they'll do it behind the scenes now because they have to. They'll do it, I'll say this again, they'll do it behind the scenes now because they have to. The Corleones are working, you know, I don't remember who was the, the opposing family to Corleones, but let's just say the Sancias. The Corleone, Corleones and the Sancias are working together right now behind the scenes. They got their godfathers at a common table, right? And they're talking to each other and they're making deals. And they both know they're going to screw each other over over in a couple years. So they're both trying to work together now so that they can both have the best story to tell the people who they control in 2016 when they choose which crime family has the dominance of control. This is like civilized, organized crime going on here. Right, their thugs are out in the streets beating people's heads in. That's okay. The overall image is a velvet glove, a velvet uh, covered uh, armored glove is what they got. A velvet covered fist, and they both want control. So what they're trying to do is make deals with each other now, and it's like playing chess, right? Because the Democratic marketing machine knows exactly how it's going to spin this. And the Republican marketing machine knows exactly how it's going to spin this. And let me spare you the suspense, and let me tell you what they're going to do. The Democrats are going to give the Republicans almost anything they ask for as long as it doesn't repeal Obamacare. As long as it makes Obamacare better, the Democrats are going to give it to the Republicans. 
the Republicans are going to take everything they can get that actually makes it better. They hate it because they do want to kill it, sort of, kind of, in a way, so they can put their own version in place, but they know they can't do it. It's too late. And I said, once this thing's in, you'll never get rid of it. People said, oh, Jack, you don't know. The American people will speak. American people, by and large, are a bunch of freaking idiots. Okay? Don't let your awareness for one minute mislead you that the majority of the people in our country are at least behaving like idiots. They're not actually idiots. The average person is actually remarkably intelligent, but they've had their intelligence lulled to sleep by a media that is sent out to do just that. You might be a brilliant person, but if a hypnotist tells you you're a chicken in the right scenario, you'll begin scratching the ground and shoving your nose in the dirt. That's the American people. It's not that they're idiots. It's they're behaving like idiots because they've been hypnotized into idiocy behavior. So don't think they're going to wake up and fix this thing because they're not. Because Obamacare is a symptom of a problem. It's not the problem. So the Republicans are going to do that. The Democrats are going to do their thing. And here's, here's the whole... I guarantee this. I will lay down money with anybody that wants to wager. This is the 2016 debate at the presidential level on Obamacare. The, the Republican message from especially the guy that wins the nomination will be Obamacare was a, a bad bill. It was a terrible bad bill. But leadership in the Republican Party has worked to make it better. We all knew that we needed health care reform. We all knew there was a problem. And much has been done. And I, along with fill-in-the-blanks, have worked hard with leaders within the Republican Party, and we've reached across the aisle on this, this terrible, terrible bill with leaders in the other party, including my good friend, Mr. Fill-in-the-Blank, who will be the guy that's running for the Democrats, by the way. Right? We've worked together on this, but the reality is it was only the leadership in the Republican Party and the knowledge there were problems in the bill that have resulted in these reforms. And it is much better now, but we have not yet done enough. And it will take a Republican in the White House to get this done and make this what it could be for the American people. Okay, The Democratic response will be, don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. They never wanted this. They fought this the entire time. It was only the strength and commitment of the previous administration that brought this into being. Yes, there were problems. Yes, we've worked with our good friends across the aisle on, on fixing these problems. Yes, we have. But the only reason they worked with us is because they had to. The only reason they worked with us is because we made this happen. And if you give them the opportunity, instead of continuing to work with us to make it better, they will dismantle it and destroy it. And there you go. That's 2016's presidential debate on Obamacare, somebody save this file, this piece somewhere, so that when we're watching this crap, and I can't remember what episode I did it in, you can put it online, and everybody can go, wow, he must have cheated or something. I didn't cheat. This is this whole thing is scripted, and I've seen it from the beginning. I told you guys before the bill was introduced that it was going to pass. I told you that it would be designed to destroy the American healthcare system. I told you that then they would begin to tweak it, and I'll tell you what they're eventually going to do. They're going to give you the quote-unquote government option. What they're going to do is they're going to open up Obamacare to everybody, 
Yes, they will. Oh, yes. That, that's all that prevents you from having, quote-unquote, the government option. The fact that it's not open to everybody. What they'll eventually say is, the only way to fix this is to stop having two classes of people. People that qualify for this great service that we either created or fixed, depending on who's in control when it gets sold to you. I'm going to tell you it's Republicans that will be in control. And the only way we can fix this is to make it available to everybody. They'll never say it's a government option. They'll say this program that we've put together now is a good program. But it's not fair that people that work really hard are paying so much money when they could have this program. This program works now. We fixed it. We should give it to everybody. And the American people will applaud. The American people will applaud. The American people will demand it. Because the American people that are most harmed by this will have no choice because they will be at the brink of poverty from what they're paying for health insurance. And if you doubt that, talk to a small business owner right now who's providing his own insurance for a family of four and ask him what he's paying. It's crippling. And it will only get worse from here, and that's what it was designed to do. That's not the rest of the story. That's the story yet to come, and you can take it to the bank. Here's an interesting question from Jerry. Jerry says, uh, Jack, been thinking about privacy in the NSA lately. I've started thinking if we try to encrypt our address books, emails, text messages, phone conversations, and such, we bring the attention of the alphabet crews to us. Would it be better to hang everything out for them to see, start tagging every photo with someone's name, not aliases, but somebody's like at the end of Spartacus? Uh, fill in a data bank with disinformation and information if we can't stop them. Uh, we can give them at least the informa some information overload. Jerry uh, from West Virginia. Um, I disagree. I disagree. Let me tell you what you hear from the NSA right now. Well, anybody that encrypts their data, we consider them a target. You know what that means? Um, please don't do this to us because we can't deal with it. It's fear. It's fear, guys. They, 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 let me tell you something. If ten, just 10 million Americans start encrypting everything that they do, and they start having their computers do shit that's like completely benign, like look at pictures of kittens all day and encrypt their browsing patterns using bots, they're done. They know they can't handle it. They absolutely, let me say this again, they absolutely know they can't handle it. The computing power necessary to decrypt one action that's well encrypted is unbelievable. On brute force, it's six months to a year's worth of work for one. Do a thousand, do ten thousand, do twenty thousand, do fifty thousand. And I'll tell you why. If you want to get yourself killed, When somebody points a gun at your face, do one of two things. Run at them like an idiot or cower and beg. Those are the two quickest ways to get yourself killed. So the running at them like an idiot would be you know, saying you'll do whatever you want to do and starting to talk like a fool and acting like some kind of actual terrorist just to provoke them. That would, that would be a good way to end up locked up. And frankly, if you're doing that, maybe you do not. I don't know. You know, maybe you mean it. And that's what they're going to say. And I, I don't know if you mean it or you don't. 
right? But if you have somebody point a gun at you and you start running screaming at them, they're probably going to plug you a hole in your head, even if they never intended to kill you, because they, they, they fear now that they put the gun on you and you're attacking them directly on a frontal assault, that you're going to kill them if you get the gun and take it away from them. So they're going to shoot you. And a guy that was you know, just intending to rob, that wasn't a maniacal son of a bitch, will kill you that never wanted to kill you. They'll freak out. So you don't do that. But if you have a psychopath, someone that takes pleasure in your pain, and you say, please don't kill me. I'll do whatever you want. It's like crack to an addict. It turns up. It turns up the violence. Oh, you want to beg, so let's make this really bad for you. Let's Let me get as much pleasure from your pain as I can before I kill you. Please don't hurt my children. Do anything you want to me, please. Oh, you know what that's going to do? They're going to immediately start harming your children right in front of you. This is our government right now. If you do this thing that's perfectly legal, we're going to target you. And what they want you to do is go, oh, I better not do that then. I better not do that. Use of Bitcoin is is just something not right about that, so we're going to look a little harder at you. And if you stop when they threaten you, you've effectively said, oh, no, please, just just leave me alone. I don't want to be bothered. Leave me alone. And when collectively enough of us say that, they think to themselves, now we have them. Now we can do whatever we want. Or, to make it simple for you, many, many years ago, one of the founding fathers of this once great nation said, when the people fear their government, there is tyranny. And when the government fears its people, there is liberty. When somebody knocks a person to the ground, and while they're on the ground with a bloody lip, says, you stay down and you're going to get more, and threatens them, they're freaking scared. They're freaking scared. They know they got a lucky sucker punch in. They want it to end now, because they know if that person gets up, and comes back at them, they might just end up on the ground themselves. They're afraid. You only threaten people when you already have control, when you're scared you're going to lose it. That is your government today. They are afraid that they are going to lose control. And let me tell you something. They're not wrong. They are losing control every day, a little bit more at a time, And I say, good. You've controlled people for long enough. You've told people how they'll get their information and from where for long enough. You've told people who the good guys and who the bad guys are without having them question the validity of that statement for long enough. You've told people the formula by which their children will be educated, whether they like it or not, for long enough. You've told people what kind of food that they will eat and where they will get it from for long enough. You've told people what their yards will look like for long enough. You've told people what kind of car they will drive and when they will drive it and where they will go for long enough. You've told people enough. We've heard you. We're done. We're done. Yes, 
the majority of the people in this country are still asleep. They are still under the hypnotism that leads them to behave like morons. But every single day, a person wakes up. And you know what happens every time a person wakes up? They look around and they realize that everybody's asleep. And they start poking people. You know, when you're sleeping and somebody starts poking you, you know what happens? Usually you wake up. Now, if the guy's in a really, really deep sleep, you might poke him a bunch of times. He might get up and smack you and go back to sleep. And that's what most of the people do when you poke them. But you poke enough people, every once in a while you poke enough people, somebody wakes up and they start poking other people. And that person pokes a person. Sooner or later, that person pokes one that wakes up. And that's what they're afraid of. The genie's out of the bottle. The internet that they created has enabled an exchange of ideas they could not conceive of. And it's, it's too late now. You can't shut me up. You can't shut other people up like me. People are telling you this message on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, podcasts, AM and FM radio. We're everywhere. We're not going to shut up and we're not going to go away. And if encrypting my data <laughs> causes you grief, and uh, I don't think you should be looking at my shit in the first place, well, and you tell me, see, now the role's reversed, Right? Instead of me going, oh, please, don't look at me. I'll, 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 do, I'll put everything out there for you to see. I don't want... <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. no. Oh, you don't like it when I encrypt my data. Oh, well, I'm not just going to encrypt my data. I'm going to tell everybody how to encrypt their data, too. Yeah. And you won't like that at all. You know, if you want to come after me, do it. Make me famous. I don't care. Seriously. I mean, how many places will we cower... How many places will we, we, we choose to, to hide in a corner with the door locked and the curtains closed and hope the guy with the gun goes by the door before we'll say, hey, wait a minute. Let's not charge down the hall to our deaths, but let's realize there's a guy with a gun out there and it's time that we stand up like human beings and we work together and we figure out how to get the gun away from that guy, beat the shit out of him and send him off to a place where he can rot for the rest of his life in a cell somewhere before he hurts anybody else. The guy with the gun in this case is the people running your country trying to intimidate you. Stand up. Stand up. Be bold. Don't fear. When they're afraid, it's time for you to be strong. When they're afraid, we're standing at the edge of liberty, folks. Don't squander it. Don't squander it in fear. Let's take another one. Here's another group of people that I keep telling you are scared because they're losing control, and they are, and, and, and they're trying to figure out how to regain it, and they really can't because even though they can play the game with others, they can't really control it the way that they used to because it's too easy for people to be seen and heard. I'm talking about mainstream media, specifically television and uh, and, and, and movie makers. Um This was sent to me by Karim. Karim says, I was watching videos on YouTube the other night and saw something that, although mundane, came across to me as very profound. Ads for, ads for TV shows on YouTube. These ads on YouTube are being run by the very networks that at one time claimed that YouTube was used for pirating their content and it would not catch on. Funny how things change. It was also called sophomoric, uh, amateur, and many other things by people that I was consulting with in 2004, 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008, 2009, 2010. They were still saying this. Um, part of why I walked away from corporate America is I couldn't deal with people that were too stupid to be helped anymore. Um, but... 
Let me tell you, this is, this is nothing new. Back in about 2008-ish, 2008-ish, yeah, I'd say 2008-ish, I had this friend named John. I won't give his last name. John is a very entrepreneurial person, and he has always been able to find ways to make money. And John went to people like Sony and other people releasing movies and uh, audio video content and music and things like that and said to them, how would you like to be able to be uh, found on YouTube and, and seen as being very, very popular on YouTube? And they said, well, we'd like to, but we haven't been able to figure this out because these guys were putting out movie trailers and advertisements and stuff on YouTube. This is before there was the formal advertising program, which sucks, by the way, because nobody wants to see it, right? The whole point of YouTube content on demand is content on demand, not you forcing your advertisement to me. Um, in fact, how to ask how many of you, when the ad has the option of you can click, you can skip this ad in five seconds, you have your freaking mouse right there. You're not paying attention. You're waiting for that link to come up so you can skip it, right? That that tells you that it's not working. But they were trying to figure out how do we get popular. And the thing about YouTube is popularity is relative. In other words, if a video has 25,000 views, it's seen as being popular. It's popular by association. And if you can get 15, 20,000 views in a day, well, then guess what? If you can get 15 to 20,000 views in a day, it's going to get up into the populars within the category. People will start sharing it, and it appears to be viral even if it's not, even if it's manipulated. This is how to do with John. What John was doing, and I can tell you his little trick now because it doesn't work anymore, and other people have figured out how to do it anyway. But John was making a lot of money for quite a long time. He would go to a, a major content producer and say, here's what we'll do. You tell me the day you're going to release your video. You give me the link in advance, you schedule it for release, and I will guarantee you views of your video. How are you going to do that? I can't tell you. I can't tell you. It's my system. I can't tell you, but I can do it for you. So they would give him like one little video to test it, and son of a bitch, you know, he'd say, I can do 10,000 views for you in the first 48 hours, and from there, you know, it takes on a life of its own. It either flies or it flops. And they said, will this be legitimate users? And he said, yes, it'll be legitimate users. You can judge for yourself. You'll get comments and things like that, so you'll know that it's legitimate. They said, oh, okay, how much? And he'd give them a price, and he would give them a price about 50% higher than he needed for it to happen. So if he needed uh, uh, $2,000 to get it done, he'd tell them it would be you know, $4,000. And they'd say, oh, okay, four grand to somebody like that. They don't, okay, sure. So then he would go to second-tier search engines, places like 7search.com, and buy all the traffic you could get from, from that day, all their surplus traffic. Just basically, I want everything that you haven't sold today. And they'd give him like 25,000 people for a penny a person. Now, these are not like pop-ups and stuff. like These are legitimate users that are searching for something that see a search results like Google on Mini. But they would give him an ad on search results, even if it didn't match content. And he would just write a really catchy ad that was like a generic ad. And it would be the only ad at the top of those search results that day. And son of a bitch, people would click through. And because they read the ad, they knew it wasn't what they were looking for. But hey, what the hell is this? And they would get this ton of traffic, and people would actually comment, and some of them would actually share the video and, and things like that. 
and they were too stupid to figure out how to do that. But John, who I worked with in one of my previous lives, that had his own thing going on the side at all times, figured out how to do it. John's calling in life is he is actually now an agent for golf and tennis players, pro golf and tennis players. He could figure out how to do this. And the mainstream media could not. And now they're buying a place at the table because otherwise no one cares what they do. Yes, they're scared. And that's why you see their advertisements on a platform that they had mocked for a long time. And frankly, they even continue to mock it. They mock it and they pay homage to it at the same time now because they're confused. They don't understand. They still don't understand how somebody can put out simple videos and get more done than they can get done. They don't get it. That's why they make a big deal when something stupid, like Gangman Style, becomes a phenomenon. They make a big deal out of it because they want you to still believe, well, that's what YouTube is. It's just it's nonsense. They actually make those things more successful. Or when some kid busts his nuts on a skateboard and they put it on mainstream media, right? And they, and they, they drive 25 million views. But have you noticed they can't drive 25 million views of their own content? The whole world is shifting. Education is shifting. Power is shifting. Money is shifting. Finance is shifting. It's all shifting. It's all becoming taken over by the market. Do you see, when people say, well, it's the market, it's the market, and people are like, oh, the market can't be trusted. You are the market. Do you not understand this? You're the market. I'm the market. We are the market. I mean, I'll say it one more time. We are the market. The next time you hear one of these bullshit media news frenzy things where it's like they're fighting over who's the, the whether the free market works or not or anything. They're fighting over whether you work or not. Don't you understand that? They're discussing you. The market isn't something over there. We are the market. And the market is unstoppable. The, the market has always driven tyrants crazy. Right? Including corporate tyrants. Because a corporate tire works like this. A company becomes very, very powerful, very, very wealthy. It establishes dominance. It ends up being run by a bunch of old gray-haired men. Old gray-haired men don't like to do new things. They don't like to change. The market is made up of all of us. And guess what happens? We change, and they don't, and they fight for control. Well, up until recent times... The change was almost fully and wholly generational. The change would happen once every 40 or 50 years, there'd be a major shift. But just like computing power is in an exponential growth curve, so are shifts now. There's too many ways that an 18-year-old with a good idea can make it known. There's too many ways. There's no way to stop it. It's game on. It's not game over. It's game on. And my advice to you from a preparedness, from a sustainability, and from a profitability standpoint. Get in the game. What you do matters, so get in the game. If you want to do it as an info warrior, do it that way. If you want to do it by building sustainability in your own communities, do it that way. If you want to do it by producing awesome content, do it that way. But get in the game. Get off the sidelines and get in the game. 
and I'm sorry, but going to the polls once every two or four years to vote for which criminal family is going to run your nation is not being in the game. Arguing with your brother-in-law about why, yes, Republicans suck, but they're not as bad as Democrats is not being in the game. Posting pictures to Facebook that, that mock one politician for the benefit of another is not being in the game. If you're in the game, you're making things happen. You're being the market. You have more power by voting with your dollars or your bitcoins or your ounces of silver than you ever will by punching a hole or tapping a touchscreen. Don't ever forget that and get in the game. Uh, another shift I keep talking about is, is the educational shift. Let's talk about why it has to happen. This is why we have to change education. Uh, and I'm not talking about, you know, children's education at this point. I'm not talking about high school and grade school. I'm talking about college. And the, the stupid money that's spent on college because of government subsidies known as student loans. Um, when you make financing available for something, you increase its price. I, I'm telling you that the average home in America today would probably pay, sell for about fifty to seventy-five thousand dollars if homes had to either be bought in cash or required something like a fifty percent down payment. A hundred thousand dollars would be you got to save up fifty grand, uh, work hard, save fifty grand, and then you would have a fifty thousand dollar mortgage, and you would have fifty percent equity in your home. And, and if it, you had to pay cash for a house, if there was no such thing as a loan on a house, the average house in America today would probably sell for about $25,000. I'm not saying we should get rid of all ability to borrow money against property. We're kind of in one of those antlion traps at this point with it, where how screwed would everybody that already owns a home be that ever wants to sell a home if we went back to that? But um, I'm just pointing out a reality. Part of why people can buy a, a $250,000 house even, which is not that extravagant in today's market in many parts of the country, is because it's not a $250,000 house to them. It's a, it's a, you know, $1,350 a month house. And that drives rental prices as well because a person knows if I have anything approaching the size of a house that sells for $250,000, that I can rent it for about that or more. So as soon as you make financing available for something, in effect, you've subsidized the pricing and you've driven the pricing up. When the government does it and makes it a mission, every child should go to college and education is priceless and makes funds available, guarantees funds, and makes people responsible for their debts for the rest of their life to the point that they will, they can and will garnish your Social Security checks to pay your student loans. Okay, when they do that, it's going to drive up education. And when you drive up the cost of education in a segment, you get a bubble. And when you get a bubble, things get crazy and people start throwing more and more money into the bubble and they inflate it even further. And when all the other bubbles burst and this one keeps going, they have no choice then to keep inflating it. This is the student loan bubble. This is an article that came out, uh, back in March. I just got, I'm getting into it now though on Zero Hedge. What student loans are really used for? The depressing case studies. Let me read you part of this, and you can read the rest if you want to. Some of our readers have missed a similar post in 2012 of September in which we showed that far from being used for their generally accepted purpose, student loans, now well over $1 trillion and more than the total credit card debt outstanding, in numerous instances are instead abused to fund virtually everything else besides paying for tuition. Recall, 
Robert Thomas Price Jr. borrowed about $105,000 for his tuition to Harrisburg Area Community College, <laughs> Community College, 105 grand, from 2005-2007. Federal authorities say it doesn't cost anywhere near that much to study at HACC, though. So Price 45 of Newport is facing federal student loan fraud and mail fraud charges. U.S. Middle District Court Uh, indictment alleges that Price spent much of the loan money on crack cocaine, cars, motorcycles, jewelry, and tattoos, and video games. At the time, many derided this case study as an isolated example of fund abuse by an isolated individual. Neither two, near two years later, a study by the Wall Street Journal confirms that most have, what most have known. Far from an isolated incident, student loans have become a primary source of funding for every greater, for an every I think it's supposed to be for an even greater portion of the U.S. population. Uh, and that when looking at the total credit creation in the U.S. economy, non-revolving student loan debt as much, if, if not more, uh, relevant than mere revolving credit when it comes to determining how, uh, how pays for what. Uh, let me just take you to uh, a segment that I think you'll find interesting. Take Ray Slennon, a 30-year-old former retail clerk in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. He was unemployed in 2012 when he enrolled as a part-time student at Boward County's Community College. That allowed him to borrow thousands of dollars to pay rent to his mother and cover his cell phone bill and catch the occasional movie. Tommy Matherin, a 32-year-old married father of five in Billings, Montana, has been going to school since 2010 when he realized the $10 an hour he was making as a mall security guard wasn't covering his expenses. He used roughly $2,000 in student loans each year to stock his fridge and kept on bills. His wife is a stay-at-home mother who also gets loans uh, to take online courses. Quote, we've been taking whatever we can for student loans every year, taking whatever we have left over and using to stock the freezer just so we have a couple extra months where we don't have to worry about food, says Mr. Matherin, who owes $51,600 in federal loans. Some students end up going deeper into debt. Early last year, when Detta Merritt lost her long-term unemployment benefits, a 49-year-old Indianapolis woman who enrolled part-time at the Art Institute of Pittsburgh's online program aiming for a degree in graphics design. She took out $15,000 in federal loans, 2,800 of which went to catch up on unpaid bills, including utilities and health insurance premiums and cable. Obviously, it's better not to use it that way if you can help it, because you're just going to owe that much more later, says Miss Merritt, a former bookkeeper. A bookkeeper. Duh. Maybe you should be keeping your own books a little bit tighter. But what does this have to do with a shift in education? Okay, let's just look at the average college degree. 50% of what a student is forced to take to acquire a degree in college has no relevance to the degree. That's a statement of fact. I challenge you to disprove it. Period. So I won't defend it. I'll just say it as fact. 50% of the average degree's curriculum has nothing to do with the degree. Okay. So the student is already buying 50% more than they require to get the desired result. Fact two. Most degrees do very little to actually prepare a person for a career in their choice of studies. With the exception of certain things like law, medicine, engineering, and architecture. In those cases, they're pretty damn good degrees because they're jobs that actually require a freaking degree and there's still 50% of what's in them that is not required to give them a degree. The institution could be giving them a 50%. That 50% could be replaced with more relevant hands-on stuff or it could simply be eliminated. 
instead of creating a fictitious number of hours in time and study to prove the person is competent in their area of profession. Okay? So that's true as well. The government has made massive amounts of money available to fund this nonsense and this idiocy. So that now, even when people are taking online courses, they're paying almost as much money as they would if they went to the school. I would tell you, in fact, in most mainstream institutions that are now doing online education, that's the only savings. Not driving there and not paying tuition or, you know, uh, not tuition, I mean, uh, uh, dorm fees. You're still buying these stupid textbooks for hundreds of dollars. They could be made electronic and a fair price paid to the author who wrote them. Because that whole thing's a scam too. So you have an overpriced product being subsidized by government assurances of repayment that is creating a, 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 a smaller and smaller return of investment to the student who gets a degree. And, hey, if I'm going to college, I got to eat. That's part of my educational expenses. So is this guy really wrong for putting food in his refrigerator with student loan payments. And if you make something possible, people are going to do it. Oh, and this is nothing new. This is nothing new. Going back many years now, we're back pre-me-knowing Dorothy. Dorothy and I, I think, will have our 17th anniversary, as a, not as a married couple, but as a couple this year. It's either 17 or 18 years. So this is that's a, lot, it's a little while ago, guys, okay? Just to drive the point home. I dated a girl for a while named Kathy. This is part of why we didn't date for very long. Kathy was a law student. At least that's how she introduced herself to me. She was actually a philosophy student that was going to take uh, go for a law degree after completion of her philosophy degree. Kathy was a single mother. It was a six-year-old little girl. Kathy was going to one of the most expensive private religious colleges in Dallas and getting lots of money and student loans to do it, to get a degree in philosophy so that one day she could get a degree in law, which probably never happened. And Kathy was buying a lot of groceries with her student loan payments and had already figured out that when she completed her degree at this college, not her law degree, just a degree in philosophy, that she would owe about $125,000. And her plan was to simply apply to law school or pre-law or whatever the hell she was going to do next and get more loans. And she thought the loans were a good thing because it allowed people to work their way up in life. And again, this is before I met Dorothy. And it's just one example that I have specific knowledge of because I had a, a relationship with this person where I was able to see. But I can tell you that in all my talks, especially at that stage of my life when I was a lot younger and I knew a lot more people in college, that this was very common, very, very common 20 years ago. And now we know. It's, like, it's just like a new thing. Like, oh, this is a new reality. This has been going on. All you're seeing is a symptom of a disease And what happens to a symptom of a disease if you don't treat the disease? The system progresses. So if the symptom is I have a weird-shaped lump on my arm that's kind of brown and disfigured, it looks like a mole, but it's just not quite right. And I've been sunburned about 80 times on that arm, and I see that little lump, and I look at it and go, ah, and I ignore it. 
eventually it becomes a truly aggressive cancer and it can kill me because the symptom was ignored. But before that happens, it grows, it manifests, maybe it starts to bleed, and it creates other symptoms. I start to feel sick, I lose energy, I lose weight, whatever it is. And any symptom of any major disease you can think of, it works the same way. If you're eating too much, and especially too much sugar, and too much sugar combined with fat, then you start to get really fat, and you start to have symptoms like insulin resistance. And if the symptoms are ignored, and if the cause of the disease is not addressed, eventually you're having your foot cut off. Or more. Or you're dead. Or you're blind and on your way to death. Okay? You get it? It's real simple. And people understand it completely when you talk about it that way. Right? If I'm smoking and I'm killing my lungs, and you know, first I have a little bit of wheezing, and I ignore it and I keep smoking, and eventually I end up with lung cancer and I'm dead. But the symptoms don't go from zero to 60 overnight. They, they manifest and they progress and they multiply. Okay, this is a student loan bubble. The symptoms were here 20, and I bet you they were here 30 years ago. And they've increased, and they've manifested, and they multiplied. And what's been done about the disease? The disease has been fed. The disease has been fed. This is why you got to be careful in alternative health. A little aside here. So sugar is fuel for cancer. So when some holistic practitioner tells a person with cancer to start juicing vegetables to save themselves from cancer, and you're taking a carrot and extracting all the fiber and nothing but the sugar and pouring sugar into your body at a massive level, you're feeding the tumor. The solution to the student loan problems has been to make them more available to more people, to, to make repayment terms a little bit easier. They're feeding the disease. And it's only a matter of time before the disease pops. But one way we can mitigate the disease, because they have no interest in fixing it, because they profit from it, is to obsolete their system. And there's no reason we can't provide a world-class education to people for a few thousand dollars a year. There isn't. No reason at all. And there's no reason we can't provide people with educational programs that actually give them what they need to accomplish what they want to accomplish and break it down into a point where it doesn't have to come with a bunch of other shit. Well, you need this to understand the coursework. Well, why don't you let me figure that out? Give me the coursework. I'll pay you for it. And if I can't get through it, I'll find out the one or two places where my knowledge is lacking and I can go by that and then I can get through the main coursework. And we can do away with this system. Now, here's the thing. What did I tell you earlier? You are the market. You are the market, and the market will evolve whether the system does or not. And that's why we have people creating their own educational models right now. Just putting education online is a very small piece of this shift. If you take the same education the same way for the same price that you've been doing since 1880, Except you've updated the textbook. That's about the only change they've made since 1880 is changing the textbooks. The system is the exact same system. And if you take that education and put it into online modules and then charge the same money for it other than the fact that they don't have to go to the, the, the lunch 
uh, cafeteria and buy school lunches, uh, and, and, and they don't have to go stay at a dorm, or if it's, we are in grade school, high school type thing, they don't have to get to the school anymore. And the only thing you change is the medium of delivery. You haven't really shifted. You put a lot of people out of work. You made a lot of people a lot richer, but you haven't fixed the problem. You haven't addressed, you're still feeding the disease. Actually, you've probably made it worse. Hey, one of the people in this story on Zero Hedge is taking online courses just so she'll qualify for federal student loans. So since you've made the education more accessible without changing it, you've made the disease worse. To address the disease, you have to you have to stop feeding the, the illness. And you stop feeding the illness by leaving it. So you can't stop all the people you know that think lunch is a Snickers bar and a Coke. And because they eat an apple before or after that, it's okay. You can't stop the damage they're doing to their bodies other than by saying, hey, you might want to think about this and going on with your life. But you don't have to eat the Snickers bar and drink the Coke. You can choose not to. And that's what education, that's how education is going to shift. You are the market. Opt out. There is no educational program like I would like to see. Make one. Jen Mendez is. And there's a brilliant room for a million more people to do this. Create, get your own education. Listen, there's no, there's no education on how to do XYZ, and I want to do XYZ. There is an education. It's just not packaged. Spend the next two years of your life as a self-directed student. Extract everything you can on it, and then package it and sell it to somebody else who, who, never, who, who never believed that it would be there. It never did exist. When I started this show, there was no survival podcast. I created one. And it got better as we went along. Hopefully it'll continue to get better for the rest of my life. That's my goal now. But part of my goal when I created this was inspire you to do your own thing. I remember when podcasts first started popping up in this space. And I get emails from people, this, this guy's ripping you off. And in some cases, it wasn't exactly untrue. Some people just say you're ripping you off because they're doing what you do already. Okay, If you do something that somebody else is already doing, even if you got the idea to do it because they did it, and you say, well, there's a market doing that, that doesn't make it ripping them off. Now, if you take what they do and you use an exact copy of it and market it as your own, whether it's a product or a message, then, yeah, you're ripping them off. I don't care. There's no power in that, really. Not if you build your product the right way. Good luck with it. But in most instances, it was just people that thought, hey, if this guy can do it, I can do it too. So they went out and did their own thing. Some of them were pretty good. Some of them were pretty lousy, but they were doing something. I was happy for all of them. And I sent many emails back at that time frame. They're not ripping me off. Now, if they're taking my logo and sticking it on their site, that's kind of like not cool. Right? Or the one guy that was basically sounded like a parody of me. It's not cool, but I don't really care. That was the market evolving, but it evolved because I created this space for me and for you. Not because I'm a great guy or anything. I don't give a big pat on the back. It was just, that's what, I'm telling you to do what I did. I looked at this space and said, I want a podcast about this. 
You know, I really finally got off my hatred of Apple for being proprietary, got over it, got an iPod, I started looking for podcasts, and I'm like, I don't care about sports. I don't. I like my Steelers and all, but I mean, you can only talk about one team for so long. It's boring to me. I just, I like to watch a game on Sunday, you know, during that time of year, and that's it. So I don't care about the 400. So I, I like preparedness. I like, so where is this? It's not here. Well, dumbass, then you should make it. Okay, I'll do that. I don't know how. I'll figure it out. I did it. One person doing something matters. So for this education market to, to switch, you don't need to build a platform. There's a hundred platforms. There's a thousand platforms. Create the program and then put it into a platform that works for it. You'll know what platform to use once you figure out what you're going to do. Start out by learning. Start out by learning. Learn to be the best XYZer in the world. And if you want to be the only one, don't teach anybody. Just go do it. And that's fine. You earned it. It's your knowledge. It's your right to keep it. But you'll learn more by teaching than you ever will by studying. The greatest learning is acquired when teaching those with the hunger to learn. I'm telling you I've learned this. I have learned more by teaching than by studying. I have learned more by watching a person take what I teach and applying it in a way I could have never conceived of or never even intended than I have through study and self-application. The study and self-application is only the first level of knowledge. The ability to teach is the mastery of knowledge. Teachers, by and large, and I'm going to piss some of you off again, I'm sorry though, the educational sector, by and large, is arrogant. We are teachers because we have qualified to the curriculum that we have created and established to decide whether or not you are one of us. And I'm sorry, by and large, teachers feel that way. And by and large, I could walk into a second grade classroom, and if I had the personality for it, which I don't, but I could do your job better than you do if you teach second grade. I could make what you're trying to explain more understandable to a second grader than you can. I don't have the patience to deal with kids that age. And that's a skill. That's part of being a second grade teacher. But you don't have that skill because you went to school for four years and got patted on the head and told you did good and passed an exam that the state provided to make sure you're indoctrinating children properly, you have that skill because it's part of your personality. And you probably could have become a much better second-grade teacher much faster if you had applied self-study and knowledge and started working with other people in a mentorship program to teach. And we could probably be turning out teachers like this that are so much better at their jobs if we reevaluated that. But no. No, we must stick to the status quo. But no, we no, no, we don't have to. We don't have to. We absolutely do not have to stick to the status quo anymore. We need people creating new ways to learn and new things to learn and new methods of learning. We need radical shifts. There's, there's no more time to, to fight the system. The system is a sinking ship. And when I say the system, I mean the systems. The systems of finance, economics, government, 
food production, health care, all of it, manufacturing, marketing, media, communication. The systems are ancient dinosaurs in a world of evolutionary ideals and ideas and technologies. It is like watching the Tyrannosaurus Rex, the king of the dinosaurs, at the time of his own extinction, not comprehending why his numbers were dwindling, because it wasn't just a freaking asteroid. It wasn't once and done. If it was, all of the skeletons would be all over the place at one time, and they're not. It's how they figured out that their own theory wasn't quite valid. That there's this long dying. And there's many of these creatures that exist after this event happened. And they're pretty sure the event happened. It was just an aggravating circumstance to an already dwindling species. But what can happen in one of those scenarios is a disease or a major impact can accelerate the process and finish them off. That is what this evolution is to the mainstream, to those in power, to those in control. This evolution of thought and ideas and communications is that asteroid. It's the market. It's always been the thorn in the side of a tyrant. It's a market that evolves beyond the spectrum of control established by the tyrant. It doesn't matter if they're a political tyrant or an economic tyrant or an educational tyrant. Inside our systems of intellectualism, there are the greatest tyrants. You just don't see it because you're not part of their group, so you're not tyrannized over by them. But if you're a scientist, there's an established group of experts, and woe unto any that challenge them. And eventually, those that successfully challenge them become part of the club, sometimes displacing other people. And once they're there, even though that's how they got there, woe unto you should you challenge them. Oh, my God, is that the case? Talk to any scientist. Talk to any high-level academic. In the, and in their space, there are a group that do, do not challenge. Do not challenge them. They have set the way that things are. The market evolves. Truth and reason overpower dogma in time. But again, these systems have been stable for, for so long. And now they're falling. The clay feet of the statue showing its reality. That's where we are. And clinging to the dying system is not going to help you. Does that mean you should just immediately opt out of life? No. Come on. You know, when somebody said to me recently, well, if the Internet goes down for good, what good are your Bitcoins? I'm like, well, then you better get rid of your bank account, you know, your savings account, your checking account, your IRA, your credit cards, if you got them, debit cards. Um, you might as well just throw your smartphone in the lake. I mean, it's just stupid. It's a stupid argument. Now, does that mean you should put all your money in Bitcoin? No, that would have cost you a lot recently. That's why I said, don't do it. Don't do it. It's pretty simple. Don't do it. 
But don't say, like, I'm not going to use this at all because it has this weakness. Everything in the world has a weakness. Everything in the world has a weakness. Every system has a weakness. You know, I'm, I'm a, new, a new beekeeper. I don't even consider myself a beekeeper yet. Right now I'm a bee owner. And I'm studying to become a beekeeper. Okay? Right now the bees are keeping me at a distance from them. I know how much I can, you know, how I can get over there and look at them and enjoy them and not piss them off, right? So I got to get my suit and all so I can get in there and learn how to work with them and become a keeper. And so, so where I was going with that line of thought is that everything in this world is a weakness. So you say, well, what's the best method of keeping bees? And every beekeeper, uh, most beekeepers, as you say, tend to think that their way is the best way. That's why they do it. So there's the Warre hive, which is like top bar combined with Langstroth, and the Langstroth owner says, well, the bees are healthy, so my maybe makes more honey, it's easier to work. And then there's a traditional top bar keeper, and there's there's hundreds and hundreds of methods of, of keeping bees. And why I like Michael Jordan is he'll say, well, this method is good because, and it's bad because. This method is good because, and it's this, the strength of this is, and the weakness of this is. Everything we have in life is like that. Living on a large acreage is great because, and the weaknesses are. You see how it works? Owning a pickup truck is, has its strengths and its weaknesses. Using hand tools versus power tools have strength and weaknesses. Using power tools versus hand tools, strengths and weaknesses. We should never rule anything out solely because it has weaknesses, or we wouldn't have anything left. And with that, I think we're going to go ahead and uh, wrap things up today. Again, I want to say thank you to everybody that listens to the show. Uh, thank you to all members of the Member Support Brigade that help support this show and the work that we do. Thank you to all the students that have been to any of the events, but most especially to those of you who have come more than once and those that came to this most recent one. Uh, it was an amazing experience, and I look forward to sharing many of the things on our homestead with you, many of my insights in the future. And... Uh, If you can't tell, I am a little fatigued today. The voice is always after a major event. It's a little fatigued. Uh, so I'm going to call it a bit earlier than I usually do on a Monday to make sure I do a good job for you guys tomorrow. I do have a couple important announcements here at the end. Uh, number one is we will be opening the guest survey form open uh, this week, probably tomorrow. Uh, maybe even today I will open it up because we do ha now have the ability to start booking more guests for the show. So you, if you or someone you know uh, has been interested in being on the show as a guest, that is about to become available for you. Additionally, we will be putting out more information about Perma Ethos soon and the things that, uh, that are going on there. And I'll have a lot of video out soon uh, showing you around the homestead and the new things that are happening here. Uh, as you kick off your week this week, think hard about some of the things I said today. You are the market, and the market innovates and creates itself. Uh, we, are not, we are not supposed to be chess pieces, pawns, to be played like fools by those in charge. We are supposed to be running our own game. And the only way you can run your own game is if you get off the sidelines and get in the game. Because the reality is you're in the game. You're either in the game as a player or you're in the game as a piece. And the choice is yours. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. We forget we are what we eat. 
like there's nothing I can do It's the price we pay, I guess we follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way Nobody up 